Oh, please, can we not do this this time? Do what? You being all mysterious with your cheekbones and turning your coat collar up so you look cool. What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak. This is episode 13 of Strength Check. Lucky 13. We made it somehow 13 episodes into whatever this project is. And I still don't know what this project is. And I don't know if you know what this project is. If anybody knows what this project is, please let me know. Like, I would would genuinely appreciate some insight into where this podcast is going. So this week, we're going to keep talking about Giuseppe Petrosino who we introduced last week as the the foil for the dreaded Black Hand Society. And we're going to talk a little bit about mental health this week as well. So Petrosino is interesting because he is, by my count, the fourth person involved with law enforcement in the early 20th century who was given the nickname of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Petrosino was the Italian Sherlock Holmes. There are two American Sherlock Holmes, there's a woman Sherlock Holmes, and I imagine as I keep going, I'll probably run into a few more Sherlock's Holmes, Sherlock Holmeses, a whole Watson of Sherlock's. I don't know. That joke didn't go over well, but I appreciate it. So anyway, Petrosino was, he was basically the man, right? He tolerated, or he maybe tolerated isn't the right word. He endured a tremendous amount of discrimination against Italians in New York City. And like we talked about last week, the black hand was really running rampant through the city, targeting Italians who would come in. Anybody who was a successful business owner was probably going to get an extortion letter from the Black Hand Society. Um, They were pretty brutal. And I think they represent in American history this sort of transition away from um, the types of gangs that immigrants, at least Italian immigrants, had been involved with when they first started coming to the United States and transitioning into what we think of today as organized crime, at least for those those immigrants who managed to get caught up in this type of problem. So anyway, Petrosino, he endured like tons of harassment and disrespect from the department. He did this work every day, knowing that the NYPD didn't really care about what was happening to his people. And I think I mentioned this last week, too, that there were some within New York City who really just viewed the Black Hand Society as sort of like a an out-of-control wildfire, and they just wanted it to run its course, and the more dead Italians, the better, right? People talked about how this was, this type of behavior was just inherent in Italians, so it's, there's no point in trying to stop them, and there's no point in trying to fight it, um, it's just going to happen, and let, let this fire blaze through their community and wipe them all out, essentially, which would be a weird thing to hear today, right? We don't hear that sort of I guess, fatalistic talk from law enforcement anymore. Although there are certainly people in the community and probably, well, not probably, definitely within law enforcement who would have similar views, not necessarily about Italian Americans, but other people, other ethnic groups. And I want to say just as a side, I slipped up just now and made a mistake that I hate doing, which is 
hyphenating anything as dash American. It it drives me crazy. It's stupid. It's hurtful. It's I think sometimes ahistorical. And it sounds like it's like something for another episode. So I will put a cork in that bottle of rage for now and uh, pop that out sometime when we're looking for something to talk about. But anyway, Petrosino was really um, patient. He was really good at undercover work. He has he had no fear, really. He was a master of disguise, which is not something you would think of if you look at pictures of him, because he's just kind of this this frumpy, doughy kind of kind of guy. Like you wouldn't look at him and think like that's a man who can blend into a crowd. But I guess maybe because he is kind of looks like how he looks. I just don't look at Petrosino and say, like, wow, this man is, like, a magician in terms of how he can pull one over on people. And he did it all the time. All the time. You know, at one point, Petrosino infiltrates this anarchist band in New Jersey and uncovers this plot to assassinate the president. And he, because he knew Teddy Roosevelt, he gets a meeting at the White House with President McKinley and tells McKinley and, and Roosevelt that there is this anarchist conspiracy to assassinate the president um and they look at him like he's a simple child and they say no 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 almost like patting him on the head like good boy joe like who's a good boy there's no plot against me who would ever want to harm, harm a hair on william mckinley's head and it's, it's un, unfathomable it's impossible not gonna happen um and we know what happened oh i i do think it's worth pointing out that the conspiracy that petrosino uncovered was not the conspiracy that ended up killing President McKinley. So, anyway, Petrosino managed to get a squad of Italian detectives hired um, within the NYPD to help him do battle with the Black Hand. Um, He envisioned about 40 to 50 guys being hired, approximately, and they gave him six. Um, But he worked these guys round the clock, day in, day out, no vacations, nothing, um, to try to stem this, again, this out-of-control wildfire that was the Black Hand Society in New York City, with some success. It's interesting, too, because his work kind of inspired other people in other parts of the country to try to form these, like, pro-Italian leagues. And there was something called the White Hand Society, and these were groups of Italians who were fed up with the the bad reputation that they had been getting because of the Black Hand Society who were going to um, sort of strike out in their own communities. I guess the only thing I can think of that is like a parallel to that is the Guardian Angels, which, well, I guess maybe we'll talk about the Guardian Angels another day, but it was a dumb idea that didn't work. And so was the White Hand Society and and some of these other pro-Italian leagues. And some of them too were just sort of like a grift, right? We're going to do this work to raise money to repair the reputation of Italian immigrants. Give us your money so we can do that. And then, peace out. See you later. Good luck with everything. Petrosino ultimately lost his battle with the Black Hand Society, in part because of the bureaucracy of the NYPD, um, in part because one man can only do so much. The chief of the time, and I'm blanking on his name, really viewed this as sort of a... A pet project, uh, a funny sort of quirky curiosity that was happening in the city. And so did Tammany Hall, which was the basically the power structure in New York City at the time. 
um, city government had no interest, state government had no interest in helping. So the chief of police in the NYPD view Petrosino as this sort of like oddity, I guess. Like it wasn't a problem that they were really concerned about. He wanted more from the city and from the state in terms of support, but it wasn't going to happen. He tries to like start this campaign to hire his own private police force, um, his own private squad of guys that weren't the Italian squad that would be answerable only to him and not to the government. And that fell flat. Interesting to see how that would fly today. But anyway, Petrosino ends up being sent on this mission to Italy, the purpose of which was to find criminal records of people who had been sent to the United States or actually just try to get into the Italian courts to prevent them from allowing people to emigrate with a allegedly clear record. So basically what was happening was um, guys who we, we consider black handers or, or mafioso in Italy doing all kinds of um, bad stuff over there were getting their records cleared um, by the court before they emigrated to the United States. So when they got to Ellis Island, they have basically a clean bill of social health and are admitted to the United States with no problem and then just get back down to work. And so the view of the Americans, and especially of the NYPD, was that somebody needs to get to Italy to try to put a stop to this. And so it turned out to be Petrosino, which was really a, a terrible idea. Like, they knowingly sent him to his death because he had had lots of people deported already. So there's this whole, like, viper's nest of people in Italy waiting for him to come there because now he's on their turf. And while he's the super cop in the United States, he doesn't have the same standing. He doesn't have the same resources. He doesn't have any of that once he gets to Italy. And Petrosino, by that point, was married. He had a, um, a daughter. He was very upset about going, but he wasn't going to say no because he was really dedicated to the job. And of course he goes. He's very out of place. He's very uncomfortable. He tries to make the best of what he can, and then he ends up getting killed in public. And people knew who did it, and nobody would talk. So Petrosino doesn't really have a legacy that other other major law enforcement figures that we might talk about on the show do. Um, he doesn't have like a lasting impact, I guess, compared to guys like William Burns, who's another Sherlock Holmes, or Bill Parker, who we'll talk about later on. Petrosino's this oddity because he was the first Italian detective hired, and it's interesting to talk about that in 2019 because we don't really think about discrimination faced by Italians anymore, and we don't really think about white ethnicities as anything other than just being white. So it's it's interesting from that angle. The Black Hand Society does eventually fade away, kind of on their own, in part because, well... There were some immigration laws that were passed, nothing as, as harsh as what people were trying to get done, but really it was prohibition that ended it. And so we'll have to talk about prohibition another day, because that was one of the biggest mistakes in American history, that now almost 100 years later, this coming January will be the centennial of prohibition, we're still paying the price for but that's for another time. I also think Petrosino is remarkable because of this moniker that he got as being Sherlock Holmes. And like I said at the top of the show, there were several other law enforcement, criminal justice system related people who had that Sherlock Holmes 
sort of um, nickname. Basically, anybody who was really clever and who was really persistent, it seems like, um, got that title of Sherlock Holmes. And I, w- I got to thinking about it. And it's not really something that you hear so much anymore. You know, the character Sherlock Holmes enjoyed a little bit of a renaissance a few years ago, the, the movie and the show, but it's not something that we really, like, throw around. You know, I, I, at least I haven't seen anything in the news of a cop solving some sort of really challenging case and, and being called, you know, the Sherlock Holmes of Northeast Pennsylvania or something like that. And it almost seems ridiculous to say that out loud, too, right? Because I think we know that not only would that label not be applied, I think we also know that that level of police work just doesn't happen anymore. And it doesn't happen anymore because it's not necessary anymore, right? So think about it. Like, think about all of the things that you have given up in the last, I don't know, if you're old like me, in the last 20 years, right? All the stuff that you've given up. So we seamlessly transitioned into a society where everybody is on camera basically at any given time. We seamlessly transitioned into a society where the government can listen to our phone calls without really any sort of probable cause. We have seamlessly transitioned into a society where companies can use the cameras in their products, in our phones, our computers, things like that, to check in on us anytime they want to. Our ATMs have cameras. Everything that we do has an IP address attached to it. So the idea that somebody would have to employ a Sherlock Holmesian level of detective work to solve any kind of crime in the United States today just isn't going to happen because everywhere we go, we're being tracked. We're being followed. I wanted to say we're being followed. Big Brother is everywhere, right? So somebody dies in mysterious circumstances, you check their social media, you find their ex sending them death threats in their DMs and problem solved. Case closed. It doesn't require any kind of Herculean intellect to do that type of work. But then in cases where it might be necessary, where somebody is able to elude that sort of overarching surveillance, then just nothing happens. (laughs) Right? It just... It just doesn't happen. Or even if that surveillance is there, it still doesn't matter. So, I don't know. It's interesting how this idea of being a detective has changed. And and that if we were going to use this, this model and find some other fictional detective that we could use as like a, a trophy or a label or like a gold star, <laughs> I, I don't even know who that would be, right? Because we've been flooded with crime shows there are so many bad crime shows it's like mcdonald's right you can go to mcdonald's and you can come away full and feeling bad about yourself and you can watch an hour or two or three of any number of really generic crime shows or superhero shows if you want to throw that into the the umbrella of crime shows and come away from it feeling full but maybe not, like, really satisfied, right? So, like, who would be the Sherlock Holmes today? Like, you're going to call some cop, like, he's the Olivia Benson from Northeast PA. Like, it's, I don't know. 
I don't think that's going to happen. So I guess the larger question is like, are we okay with that? Are you okay with that? Are you, of the dozens of listeners of Strength Tech, sitting here listening to the show right now, comfortable with the fact that, aside maybe from matters of national security, that there aren't really everyday, workaday law enforcement who would would be able to get that label or that title of Sherlock Holmes. The Sherlock Holmes of Detroit. <laughs> the Sherlock Holmes of Chicago. The Sherlock Holmes of Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it sounds it sounds antiquated. It sounds silly to talk about that now. Because all we care about is drugs. Everything else, somebody's watching. Even the drugs people are watching. But that seems like prohibition stuff and we're on drug stuff. And we're not there yet. We got a ways to go before we get there kind of a life lesson i guess about the journey something like that and so while we're talking about the journey let's talk about mental health real quick so last week we talked about nostalgia by we i mean i talked about nostalgia and all the things that i'm nostalgic for all the things that just happened like a few minutes ago that i'm i find myself saying you know the good old days of 8 p.m man we just had it so good we're so much younger then we're so much wiser now and how silly it is, right? To how silly it can be to allow our identities to become completely trapped in this sort of nostalgic quicksand of music and movies and shows and fashion and just that time. People do it all the time without really looking forward to the future. And so I have this problem, okay? Let's talk about this problem I have. I have this problem where... Um, I never, ever, ever, ever feel satisfied that I'm working hard enough. And so part of this problem stems from some like larger sociological stuff, right? Men in the United States are, are socialized to identify with our work more so than anything else. We are not socialized to identify with art. We are not socialized to identify with our families. We are not really even socialized to identify with... Um, athletics so much Um, although obviously that's not something that has the same issue as the other two I just mentioned we are socialized to think about work first our whole identity comes from work and so there's that the other issue I think is again just very generally in American society we all work too much like it's an American thing We take fewer vacations, we travel less, we do less than other people do. And because of the time that we live in, in addition to having sort of this cultural workaholicism, workaholism, work too damn much. Everything's so expensive too, so we can't take vacations and we can't travel. And most people are working jobs, most families are working as many jobs as possible to make ends meet. So that idea of having like luxury time is just not a thing that exists. So I have internalized this um, as much as anybody else. I'll also say that because I am, as of tomorrow, going to be 700 days sober, I have sort of given myself or have been on this, this guilt trip of incredible magnitude for the last almost two years, where I look back at the time, all of the nights drinking and the self-destructive behavior that I'm now out of. And I think to myself that I lost so much time that 
There are so many things I should have done that I could have done. So many people I could have helped, so many projects I could have worked on, so much writing I could have done, reading I could have done, things I could have done that I didn't. And so now I perpetually feel like a car that like, <laughs> the engine hasn't shifted, the transmission hasn't shifted, and the engine is just making that, like, it's almost going to explode. Like, if you go much longer like this, it's going to do some damage. Like, that's what I feel. Like, I need a gear shift. And I don't know how to make that happen. Now, I'm telling you this not to try to garner any sympathy. I'm not trying to look for advice. I'm not trying to find people telling me just to accept what I have and be happy with everything I've accomplished. Um, because honestly, when people tell me how much I've accomplished and how how proud they are, I I internalize that as being, like, mocked. <laughs> like, like, my anxiety tells me that I'm being made fun of when people, like... It always sounds like, oh, you've done so much. You've been so accomplished. Bleh. Like, it's not, in my mind, it's not real. And it's not praise that I deserve because I should have been doing so much more. I could have been doing so much more. And so like I said, I'm not telling you this to try to gain any sympathy or get any advice or anything. I just want you to know that this is a thing that happens, people. And I know I'm not the only one going through it because I'm not... I'm not so delusional to think that I am the only person in the world with any problems. I'm a sociologist, after all. I'm not allowed to think that way. But in the name of mental health advocacy, I think that it's important to just, on this show, um, considering the work that we're trying to accomplish with Play for Progress, and considering my efforts to try to be more of a public scholar and do more public-facing and forward-facing work, that... Here's an example of somebody who is allegedly really accomplished, who's done some stuff, who seems to have it together, who does not feel at all together. And that's cool. So we can be mm, lost together. <laughs> right? Right. So the last thing that I want to talk about this week real quickly, as a programming note, we are still trying to find our footing with this show. Part of me really loves doing nights like this where it's just kind of free-flowing improv crime history mental health stuff part of me says to to sever those two and make a show that is just crime history and a show that is just mental health and a show that is just pop culture and a show that is just whatever other things come into my mind um and i don't know what to do <laughs> so if you have any suggestions or any ideas or there are parts of the show that you've really enjoyed that you want to hear more of and parts of the show that have not really landed as well for you personally please let me know, and I will take that into consideration. Although, next week, I think we're going to talk about fans and how fans have too much power. So I don't want to give you the reins to the show. I'm just looking for a little insight. An insight check. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, as always, for listening. The show is produced by the incomparable Mark Warren. Mark looked at this around 8 minutes and 47 seconds and thought... This is tight. Oh, hi, Mark. You can contact the show at strengthcheckpodcast at gmail.com or on the Red Hot Twitter machine at strengthcheck. You can also get at me on Twitter at heydrwill. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. Uh, that's it for this week. Be good, everybody. See ya. Bye.